A Mouthful of Air, a poetry podcast with Mark McGuinness. Metamorphosis by Dom Berry Plough, anvil, loom As yet few noticeable tremors As yet nothing is lost permanently Merely transformed into something usable Old wood becomes ships that still answer to foul weather Old stone, resurrected, becomes shelter, temple, raised effigy the not yet to a god that would eat the heart right out of you, but one that still fears rising water, black marks over the sun, sudden, uncontrollable fever. Wilderness as echo, wilderness as pawn, wildness as something repressed, so that what was once felt ravine deep in the body calcifies into harder gods, god of iron. Steel, god of smoke without fire, god sold to empty the country into the city's gaping mouth. Human wreckage, human kindling, anything to keep the forges burning, eyeball white. Yet still, for now, only minor visible ructions, fish upturned in rivers, cattle refusing to ovulate, tuberculosis, cholera. Rain still something to be dashed through. For now, autumn moves into winter as smoothly as a row of emperor penguins sliding into the sea. For now, the geese moving high up through the cold, clean air still find their way home again. New signs come. Depression. Cancer. Whole races turning their knives in on each other. Whole peoples cut away from the sky and the stars and the damn soft soil that birthed them. That is them, their flesh, their bones, their bodies no longer wondered at as earth, as everything, but seen solely as vehicles to carry them, us, everyone, to our next blunt fix. The alarm bells of the planet reach fever pitch. Covid. Collective existential crisis, collapse. Our city is no longer able to withstand foul weather. Our nation's on fire. The earth attempting to kill what is killing it. To avoid the canvas of this green, miraculous earth, disintegrating thread by thread, thrush by thrush, human body by human body. This was the way, the only way it could have been. Our own extinction held up to offer a small window shaken ajar at midnight. For us to witness these charred fields and begin to feel something, anything again. To understand how each cut into the earth is a cut into our own soft skin. In the compressed heat of this late age, the soul of the world begins to emerge again. <laughs> 
timid at first, after 10,000 years of crucifixion, of being burnt alive for the simple crime of sounding the raw, wild note of love over and over, for daring to say, look, between the ash and the wide open cosmos, there is still magic here. So the world breaks apart to break us open, to the subtle miracle of living, to come back to the mystery of these hands folding over themselves, to feel the wild tingling in us and the last woods whispering, soon there will be glades, great elk, grace again. Old things awaken far out on the permafrost. New fires hidden in the high woods flare on one by one again to warm a little meagre food. And slowly we begin to recall what we had forgotten, to sense in the marrow of the earth God again. The God not as this far-off deity sat on his golden throne, but God as life, as you, as me, as everything. All of this, all of this, to finally remember the deep dark of the earth alive in us again. The thrumming tuning fork of our bodies, ecstatic as wave spray, sudden phosphorescence. To remember how the stars and the moon move us, hung in the sky over the still lake, below a mountain filled with fresh snow. Dom, where did this poem come from? This poem, Mark, was a poem that was written over two parts, two very distinct parts. Hmm. And the first part of the poem, the um, parts, so that's a 10-part poem, and the first three parts came about five years before the second seven parts. And I wrote this, yeah, the first three parts, and I'd kind of was feeling it moving and it wanted to almost be like this this um, register of, of destruction in many ways mm-hmm. of where we are right now and what's happening. And something wouldn't allow me to move past writing those third parts. And only uh, I came back to it just by coincidence. I literally put it in my drawer or in my file on my, on my laptop. Yeah. And I, it wasn't going to be in the collection. Like no part of this was going to be in the collection until one month before the deadline huh. of, the, uh, of, of the collection. And I was just scrolling through my, um, yeah, like my, like the bits and, you know, when you write bits and bobs of poems, but they never really come to fruition. Yeah. And I just paused. I paused over this, this file. I was like, ah, I remember this one. And I clicked into it and I read through it. And then it was just so clear. Um, yeah, that like where, like I'd had to have gone through the life experience I'd gone through over the last four years of my life to actually then bring the, this poem into its mm-hmm. fruition. Yeah. Um, so then, then I sat with the first three parts of the poem. And the, yeah, that like within that month, literally I wrote, I think the last, um, the last uh, section of, the, of number 10, 
about two days before sending off to Blood Axe. Um, so this was literally the last poem in the book. And it came after, yeah, after, I think in many ways, my own metamorphosis with where the world is right now. Um, that really, yeah, and that, that, and then it takes us on that journey, right? It takes us on that journey, um, into, yeah, into, into facing the initiation in many ways of, of, of living right now in, in this moment planetarily and environmentally. And, also then reflecting my own initiation in many ways of how, where I've come to now, which is, I guess, yeah, uh, holding those two things in the balance, holding what is happening right now on one hand and the potential death and, and, uh, um, yeah, environmental degradation and ecosystem collapse and also holding another story in, in my, in my palms at the same time and, and having that, the, another truth to be, to be created there. Um, of that we've had to come to this moment in time. We've had to come to this to face what we're facing in order to actually shift, in order for us to us to change how we live on this earth. Well, you know, I must admit, when I, I read this, because I saw the manuscript before the book came out, and obviously this wasn't in that version. And then, of course, you've got COVID. Yeah. I was thinking he, he must have been fairly up, close up to his deadline to, yeah, yeah, it was, yeah. to get that in. Um, and it's interesting you saying it was written in two parts because one of the questions I had was, you know, from where it starts, I'm expecting the ending to be pretty dark. Yeah, yeah. And yet you certainly don't flinch from the darkness here or in, in many other places in the collection, but you actually end up in a place that is far more uplifting, mm, mm. Uh, even hopeful not to mention mm. beautiful, than I would have guessed from that beginning. So it's really interesting that mm -hmm. you say that it was written in, in two halves. Mm. What was that process of discovering that new direction of the poem like for you, given where you'd started from? Sure. Um, yeah, it was, it was it, in many ways, it was, you know, in many ways it was obvious, right? <laughs> <laughs> in many ways, you know, and I, 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 you know, in these things, like, It'd be it'd be tempting to give like a very like poetry answer in terms of like well you know uh, this came and then I th this particular <laughs> and but I'm I don't feel like I'd necessarily be being truthful to the poem and mm -hmm. um, yeah I think the process was very very obvious and that the first half was um, yeah this this piece of like me personally in the darkness me personally like looking at the darkness, but also looking at how we'd got to this place in the first place, right? Yeah. So it's like the poem starts pre where we are now. It starts, you know, maybe like talking about, um, yeah, in the first passage, maybe like two, 300 years ago to 400 years ago with the Industrial Revolution. Um, then if you look at like this, the second part around like the gods of iron, steel, gods sold to empty the country into the city's yeah. gaping mouth. So that was really going back and thinking and feeling the transition, the, the transition that we'd had to come through in order to get to this point of crisis, right? Yeah. And I mean, even further back than that, I mean, you've got this wonderfully bold opening, plow, anvil, loom. I mean, mm, that's going yeah. back like thousands of years. And it's, yeah, it's it like is, yeah, yeah. all of human history in three words. And I think as, <laughs> as readers, we, we need, I mean, like it took, was it Yuval Noah Harare, about 600 pages to do, you know, to do it in Sapiens. But you, 
you're actually saying, I think, to the reader at that point, are you nimble enough to come with me mm. on this? And it, there's a wonderful economy throughout the whole poem that, to me, that's, that's summed up by that. So, sorry, mm. you were saying about from the Industrial Revolution to where we've got now. But I think, thank you for actually taking me back to that place, because it is, it is this, it's like from the origins, right? If you're talking about sapiens, mm-hmm. we're going back to the origins now of, of civilization, yeah. right? And I think that is a really important place to start from with a poem like Metamorphosis, because you need, you need that trajectory, you need to feel the, the train of where we've, we've come from in order to understand where we're going to, and also understand like how things are, how things are, um, yeah, how things have become where, to where we are right now, but to feel them, to actually feel the the, the linear uh, chronological time of, of that of this of this part. Um, yeah, and I guess then the third part wrote it wrote in way of like, yeah, like we're still here now. We're still um, there's still minor visible ructions in many ways, and then that's maybe like you know thirty forty years ago, and now we're coming to, you know the. The 30 years ago, we're like, new times come, depression, cancer, whole races turning their knives on each other. And then the, the complete dislocation from the earth, which we've experienced more and more over the last 40, 50 years. Um, and then really now, like what's happening right now, like the alarm bells of the planet reaching fever pitch. Like this is where we are in this moment right now. Like the planet is is ringing as a whole, like note, like fuck, like things are things are in danger. Um, and yeah, and COVID for me is, is a real, um, example of that. And then, and then it's like, what next? Okay. So we've come like, there's no going back now, right? We can't, we can't go back from this place. Mm -hmm. Like history has run us. We've run with history to this moment, this, this single period in our existence on this earth collectively and individually. And now it's like, okay, so where do we go from here? And that really is, that's a stepping off point for me is um yeah it's like and hence like this is the only way it could have been because when when if you look at human history and how it evolves you need crises which are bigger than outside of ourselves in order for actual change to take place you need something which shakes us from our daily existence to unite in a way and with with love and with the core of what is is human um, and only for what I'm really seeing now is only this crisis would have the potential to unite humanity, only this thing, like the whole of the planet being threatened. And I think that if we, if we can tell that story and we can tell that, then I think we're in a much better place for, um, yeah, for solutions and creative solutions to where we are to actually come to the fore than if we're still in a place of, um, yeah, like both facing the darkness, but also understanding this caveat to it as well. And then, yeah, I guess the last parts of the poem came as like an offering, like just a simple offering of like possibility of, of like, yes, and this is still possible. Like this is possible that, yeah, we, we, this emerges now, like, like the core of us emerges because of this, not in spite of this moment, because of it. Hmm. And, you know, that word still, you've used it quite a lot in the interview and it kind of rings throughout the poem and it it shifts Uh its sense a bit. Because you start off, particularly in the first part, you've got a real sense of of the clock ticking, and it's like seems to be start ticking faster and faster. And you know the mood music is getting darker. You've got as yet, not yet, yet still for now, and this late age. But later on, you say 
there is still magic here. And it feels mm. like mm. that that journey through time, that, that history comes through, and yet and we could easily see this this trajectory going in a very dark place, and maybe we will do. But yeah. I think the fundamental impression I came away with is that there's still magic here, there's still beauty here, there's still mm-hmm. How would you describe? You say God is life, as you, as me, as everything. So there's this wonderful kind of pantheistic, almost romantic relationship with nature. Mm. I want to. I, I mean, we may edit, we may edit this bit out, but I just want to share this anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think like how do you how do you rem, how do you move beyond romanticism mm-hmm. in in connection with nature, but still still maintain that love for the natural world. Right. Mm. So if you look at the romantics and you look at our, especially in poetry, our relationship with the natural world, it's really informed by that romantic sense of nature. Right. But yeah, we've come now to an edge, which is an edge around we can no longer see nature really in that light anymore because of what's happening. Okay. Mm. So there needs to be a cutoff point. But at the same time, we need to fall in love with the world again. Right. We need to fall in love with the earth. You know, it's like um, someone like Joanna Macy, you know, that's her, you know, Joanna Macy's, that's her main practice is like, you know, falling in love with the earth on a daily basis of what is here now and the beauty that's here now um, and the magic that is here right now on the earth. And actually that then engenders a response of actually deep care for the earth, deep care for the planet. And for listeners who aren't familiar with Joanna Macy, could you give us the, the, the brief introduction? Sure. So Joanna Macy is, um, she's a, like a thought leader on um, ecology, um, deep ecology, um, grief, so ecological grief, and also how do we, yeah, how do we live in the face of, um, of, of planetary emergency and the, world, the environmental crisis which we currently face. So um, that is, you know, that's her thinking is, and I, I, I really subscribe by it, and I think it's the tension between the two, right? Is, is you, you can't, you can't just go in off into a romantic, like ah, nature's so beautiful. Yes, I love the earth, yeah. amazing. But you also can't go into everything is going to die. We're all done. We're all doomed, um, because then that that doesn't allow actually, um, yeah, it doesn't allow a full response. And so for me, I think what this what this poem and what the book wants to do is. It wants readers to to bring them to the edge of possi- two poss- of different possibilities, right? Of the possibility of collapse, and yes, this is one possibility of the, the darkest hour, and yet there is also another possibility that this moment will allow us to fall in love with the earth again collectively, and to understand that we are we are the earth, and to then begin to want and desire to become more in synchronicity as part of an ecosystem of the earth, which is then sustainable. So these are big themes, Dom. And, <laughs> you know, I applaud you for engaging with them and doing so in a way that, because it's, I mean, there's several ways this kind of poetry can go wrong, as, as we know. What do you see as the role of the poet? Or what is the potential of poetry at a time like this? a very good question i'm actually holding a panel in september called the role the role of poetry in response to planetary emergency um so you couldn't have set me up better for that than i'd ask thanks very much mark and that'll be with the writers rebel um what is the role of poets in response to planetary emergency (sighs) for me it is 
allowing people an access point beyond rhetoric, beyond uh, the mainstream narratives of that we currently have with media mm-hmm. and the polarities between is climate change happening? Isn't climate change happening? Like, are we, are we, are we all going to die? Are we going to be fine? So it's really allowing them um, an access point to feeling, to experiencing, um, yeah, what it means, to, what it feels like to be alive right now, um, in that, in this human moment, right? Yeah. Because I think that's ultimately what it, what it comes down to is when, with a lot of uh, also eco poetry, which I I have struggled to stomach actually. And when I say struggle to stomach it, I mean because it it disassociates uh, the crisis that's happening from the self. It's always putting something, um, always talking about something which is far away or isn't isn't going to impact the personal self, mm-hmm. or is is trying to be um, right on, or is trying to like speak around plastic or the rhetorical devices which we've been given as mainstream narrative in the media, which is all great in terms of raising awareness. But poetry, you know, poetry has this quality to it when it's when it's when it's magic, when when the spell is cast of a poem, that it really allows you to enter a world, right? And so, if a poem, if a poet has that ability to allow someone for that 30, 40, 50 seconds, three minutes to enter this world, you know, that's when actually someone can be transformed, right? The, the reader, the consciousness of the reader, the body of the reader can actually be moved and can be shifted. So I think that's really the the role that poets have to play in this and is is giving people that access point to the feeling, to experiencing themselves in this moment um, in response to where we are. Um, yeah, and also giving them the fullness of that, you know, not just one narrative, not just yeah. another narrative, but giving them the whole truth. And it's, I guess that's the, the answer to my question earlier on about the two possible endings that you're holding yeah. both realities in a space yeah. that we can experience imaginatively and emotionally, not just, yeah. not just intellectually or politically or electronically on social yeah. media. And that's key, right? That's really, that's yeah. really key. That's yeah. really cool. Yeah. Okay. And then in terms of maybe zooming in on the poem itself a little more, I mean, as soon as you, you title it Metamorphosis, it makes me think of Ovid and metamorphoses. Was that, and also mm-hmm. the, you know, the big global themes, was that in your mind at all or is that coincidental? I think that's coincidental. Um, I, yeah, I mean, I've read some of Ovid metamorphoses, but I think for me this was, the metamorphosis came really, because the, the just, yeah, the poem is at a point of the book, right, where we've come, we've come through one possibility, mm-hmm. and we've come to the edge of acceptance, really, of what of that possibility. You know, in poems like Extinction, poems like um, I Lie Down on the Ground to Make Peace with the Fire Jumping Towards Me. And then you come to this section of the book, which is, um, yeah, which is like afterwards, what happens afterwards, and then letter from my, my daughter around speaking back another, another possibility, another world. So the 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 really the the title of the poem really came in the in I think in relation to the collection itself and where we were mm-hmm. in the collection, as well as the standalone poem itself, which does the metamorphosis metamorphosis through the act of the single poem. 
Okay, and I think it's a good point that this is situated within a, a whole collection, a wonderful book, uh, Rite of Passage. And I guess in a, as you're saying that, it struck me that in a way this poem is a bit like the experience of the book in, in microcosm, even though it's fairly expansive itself, because you've got, yes, it's yes. 10 sections, and you could hear Don pause between each section. They're all quite short. When you look at the page, it's it's kind of a beautifully laid out you've got this little square of text on a wide expanse there's a real sense of compression and economy but also expansiveness in the poem and clearly there are gaps for us to fill in the spaces in our imagination between the two the the different sections and i think that's very much the experience of reading the whole collection that you have a lot of poems you know that it's not just a collection that's it's more like reading a whole sequence Mm -hmm. so how did you arrive at this form of having these little square sections? Was that there from the beginning in the first three pieces, and you just continued it, or was sure? I can I can definitely I can definitely say more about that. So my initial so actually one of the main inspirations for this poem was a poem uh, by Don Patterson, mm-hmm. and the poem is I think in rain. You're right, and it goes. Um, it has these sections, which is like. It's just like very matter of fact, like this happens and this happens and this happens and this happens. Mm-hmm. And it's around, I think it's, there's, there's something, element of crisis around it. And so that was kind of the, I think if it was responding to any poem, it was probably responding most to that poem, mm-hmm. but it's kind of moved on so far from there um, yeah. since then. But that was the initial impulse. And it was really having these pockets, right? These pockets of compressed, um, yeah, image, in many ways. So these, these images, which were, which were standalone pockets. And I felt, you know, in order to get the sequence to, um, to work, it needed to be on, on individual pages. So you could actually experience those windows, right? So they are, yeah, they are windows in many ways, like individual windows in time. Hmm. Um, and I think that was then what the, what each, 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 um, cell, let's call them the cell of the, of the organism of the poem wanted to then then compress into. And in terms of the process, did it come fairly fully formed like this? Did it go through several versions? Was it, I guess you didn't have all that much time before the deadline, did you? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, with, the, with these things, you know, with these poems, they kind of, this, you know, this is a poem which was written over about five years. Right? Mm-hmm. So maybe part of the, you know, the first two, one, two, three, um, like sections were almost set in my subconscious for five years, yeah. like waiting for the right material yeah. to then just put into the form. Right. I think that often happens as you, you know, you come back to a poem and then suddenly the materials are like, ah, of course. Yeah. Okay. Da, 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 da. Yeah. And yeah, I think I really wanted to. So I think, and all the, apart from one of them, I think all the sections are eight lines apart from maybe yeah, I think eight lines um, long apart from, I think, the first one. And I think I wanted to keep the, to find compression in that as well. And I, I think, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a real fan of, um, yeah, of, of form and, and how, you know, playing with these, these, these um, the, yeah, keeping to a particular line length or keeping to actually compresses you to think more imaginatively and to, to be more um, clever, not not clever in terms of trickstery, but like 
like imaginatively, like they're a compression mechanism for, for how the poem works. Yeah. Well, Dom, I think you have compressed superbly and made absolutely wonderful use of the space that you gave yourself, the space around the text. Um, so maybe it'd be good for us all to hear the poem again. Okay, let's do that. Metamorphosis by Domberry. Plough, anvil, loom. As yet few noticeable tremors. As yet nothing is lost permanently, merely transformed into something usable. Old wood becomes ships that still answer to foul weather. Old stone, resurrected, becomes shelter, temple, raised effigy. The not yet to a god that would eat the heart right out of you, but one that still fears rising water, black marks over the sun, sudden, uncontrollable fever. Wilderness as echo, wilderness as pawn, wildness as something repressed, so that what was once felt to ravine deep in the body calcifies into harder gods, god of iron. Steel, god of smoke without fire, god sold to empty the country into the city's gaping mouth. Human wreckage, human kindling, anything to keep the forges burning, eyeball white. Yet still, for now, only minor visible eruptions, fish upturned in rivers, cattle refusing to ovulate, tuberculosis, cholera. Rain still something to be dashed through. For now, autumn moves into winter as smoothly as a row of emperor penguins sliding into the sea. For now, the geese moving high up through the cold, clean air still find their way home again. New signs come. Depression. Cancer. Whole races turning their knives in on each other. How peoples cut away from the sky and the stars and the damn soft soil that birthed them. That is then, their flesh, their bones, their bodies no longer wondered at as earth, as everything, but seen solely as vehicles to carry them, us, everyone, to our next blunt fix. The alarm bells of the planet reach fever pitch. Covid. Collective existential crisis, collapse. Our city is no longer able to withstand foul weather. Our nation's on fire. The earth attempting to kill what is killing it. To avoid the canvas of this green, miraculous earth, disintegrating thread by thread, thrush by thrush, human body by human body. This was the way, the only way it could have been. Our own extinction held up to offer a small window shaken ajar at midnight. For us to witness these charred fields and begin to feel something, anything again. To understand how each cut into the earth is a cut into our own soft skin. In the compressed heat of this late age, 
the soul of the world begins to emerge again. Timid at first, after 10,000 years of crucifixion, of being burnt alive for the simple crime of sounding the raw, wild note of love over and over, for daring to say, look, between the ash and the wide open cosmos, there is still magic here. So the world breaks apart to break us open, to the subtle miracle of living, to come back to the mystery of these hands folding over themselves, to feel the wild tingling in us and the last woods whispering, soon there will be glades, great elk, grace again. Old things awaken far out on the permafrost. New fires hidden in the high woods flare on one by one again to warm a little meagre food. And slowly we begin to recall what we had forgotten, to sense in the marrow of the earth God again. The God not as this far-off deity sat on his golden throne, but God as life, as you, as me, as everything. All of this, all of this, to finally remember the deep dark of the earth alive in us again. The thrumming tuning fork of our bodies, ecstatic as wave spray, sudden phosphorescence. To remember how the stars and the moon move us, hung in the sky over the still lake, below a mountain filled with fresh snow. Metamorphosis by Dom Berry is from his collection Rite of Passage, published by Blood Axe Books. Dom Berry is a devotee to this miraculous earth in this time of planetary transfiguration. He has won a number of national and international prizes and awards for his work, including the 2017 National Poetry Competition, the 2014 Magma Poetry Prize, second prize in the 2017 Resurgence Eco Poetry Competition, and he has also received an Eric Gregory Award and a Jerwood Arvin Mentorship. He's been published in magazines and anthologies, including Poetry Review, Poetry London, Poetry Ireland, Poetry Wales, Magma, Best British Poetry, Staying Human, New Poems for Staying Alive, published by Bloodaxe Books, and 100 Poems to Save the World, published by Seren. A Mouthful of Air is a poetry podcast hosted by Mark McGuinness. New episodes are released every other Tuesday. If you enjoy the show and you'd like to help me reach more poetry lovers, you can do this by telling a friend about it or by taking a few seconds to leave a rating or even a brief review on Apple Podcasts. 
If you would like a full transcript of every episode sent to you via email, including the poem text, you can sign up for this at amouthfulofair.fm slash subscribe. If you'd like to follow the show on social media, you can find all the links as well as a full episode archive at amouthfulofair.fm. The music and soundscapes for the show are created by Javier Whaler. Sound production is by Breaking Waves and visual identity by Irene Hoffman. A Mouthful of Air is produced by the 21st Century Creative, with support from Arts Council England via a National Lottery Project grant. Thank you for listening. I'll be back soon with another poem.